0: If you enjoy this show, you will enjoy the new novel Alice Isn't Dead, a standalone, complete reimagining of this story. It's out now. Find it wherever you encounter books or at aliceisn'tdead.com.
1: Beyond the sink is a bed. Sitting on the bed is a person in a gray hoodie, hood pulled up, their faces lost in the shadow. But I think I know now, I could get as close as I wanted to that hood and still wouldn't be able to see a face. They sit on the edge of the bed, body toward us, a hand on each thigh. I expect to feel a wave of powerful energy coming off of them, but I don't.
2: A cloud passes over the sun, it gets dim in the trailer.
1: We've come a long way to talk to you, I say. They say nothing back. Anxiety is working my gut. But it does the same when I'm ordering pancakes at a truck stop, when I'm getting up to pee in the middle of the night. I can't trust my anxiety.
2: But there were no clouds in the sky.
1: Hello? I say. Silly. If they wanted to respond, they would. I reach out, hesitant, but knowing what I need to do. I touch them. They slump backwards. The Oracle is
2: dead. From outside, I hear a wet huffing and whooping. I don't even have to look out the window to know...
1: The trailer is surrounded by Thistlemen.
0: Isn't Dead by Joseph Fink, performed by Jessica Nicole and Erica Livingston, produced by Disparition. Part 3, Chapter 3 Means of Escape.
2: I don't know where this trip started, what counts as the first moment, but for lack of a better answer, I'll start with this. I'll start with the amazing painted rocks. I needed to pee, and it seemed a more interesting stop than a fast food place. As I was coming back from the bathroom, I went to look at the rocks, because why not, right? I was there. They were better than they had looked when Keisha and I came back years later, but not by much. They were rocks. They were painted. They delivered on both fronts. As I stood there, I noticed movement on the rise above the rocks, a person thrashing around choking maybe or a heart attack no not a person two people a man attacking a woman i have anxiety too i don't know if keisha ever knew that but my anxiety doesn't turn inwards i project it i see the whole world as being as scared as i am and i get this irresistible urge to come to its defense so i ran up that hill and tackled the man his skin was baggy and his teeth were sharp He was strong. I had misunderstood my abilities in this situation. But the woman who he had attacked clambered to her feet and together we fought him. She pulled a knife from her belt, stabbed him through the throat. He gurgled, leaked yellow pus, and fell to the ground. I couldn't move. We had killed someone. But the woman, she didn't look at the man we had killed. She looked only at me. My name is Lucy, she said. And most people wouldn't have done what you just did. We could use a woman like you. How would you feel about a job?
1: A patter of hands on the outside of the trailer. Gravity made wild moves. They were pushing the trailer back and forth, tipping it over just for the fun of knocking us around before the real violence began. The body of the oracle we had come to see fell sideways onto the mattress and then slumped to the floor as light and small as a child. I started toward them, but what would be the point? They were gone. Soon we would be too. Ah. Uh, who- said a voice from the outside Lump, shouted another the thistle men were getting excited I took Alice's hand I kept my eyes on the body of the oracle and then the oracle was alive again they were still limp on the ground but also simultaneously standing over their own body Already dead. Run. Run, the Oracle said. And then there was only the body. In my head, I saw a black boat floating forever at the mouth of a river. I pulled Alice with me out of the trailer. There were at least 20 thistlemen, and they cheered upon seeing us, but I concentrated on a gap in their number and I made for the SUV. I wasn't ten feet away when I saw the SUV had been disabled. Tires slashed, steering wheel sitting on the passenger seat. The exhaustion of my despair was mixed with an adrenaline jolt of fear. Behind us, the thistlemen flapped their lips as they tore toward us, making a strange jittering sound.
2: I took the job. If there were monsters in the world, then I couldn't pretend everything was fine. I have the urge always to protect, and so I followed that urge. It was torture hiding it from Keisha. But I had already been going regularly on business trips. I kept the same schedule, but instead of selling bathroom supplies to large office clients, Lucy and I hunted down the Thistle men. When we weren't working, Lucy trained me, hand-to-hand combat, first aid, target shooting, basic tactics, the tedious step by the tiny step nature of detective work. Most of all, she trained me to trust her. It was the murder of Bernard Hamilton when it happened. We were looking over the body and I thought, oh my God, this feels normal. This feels like a day on any job. And I didn't recognize myself this person who was so used to violence. My heart surged. I couldn't breathe. I was in a panic over how calm I was. I didn't let it show. I kept doing the job. It went on this way for years. Maybe could have gone that way forever. But circumstances changed and my
1: double life
2: became untenable.
1: The Thistle men were on us, and we kicked and pushed them, pulling each other along, staying just ahead of their grasping hands. There was an old sedan, a boxy 90s model. The tires were low, looked like it barely ran. One of the vehicles that Thistle had arrived with, presumably. We made it to the car, and the keys were in the ignition. Alice fought off a particularly fast Thistle man, and then fell backwards into the car next to me. This isn't all-wheel drive, I said. How did they even get this out here? But there was no time to consider that. I could only do my best to steer it away from any ruts or patches of heavy sand that would snare it. I pointed it toward the highway and started driving. Soon we were a good mile away, and I was able to start breathing again. Foolish, I said. Just foolish. At least we're safe, said Alice, and I went to slap her shoulder for jinxing us when the car ran right into a hole I hadn't seen and stopped dead. I tried to start it, but whatever dark power had kept its old engine together was gone. The car was done.
2: Thistle was going after family members. Lucy told it to me plain, with a minimum of emotion. She never got emotionally invested in much. She wasn't cold, just practical. The family members of Bay and Creek operatives were being found out and murdered. Word wasn't coming down from the top because they didn't want panic, but Lucy thought I should know. Well, the choice was simple for me. I needed to leave Bay and Creek. I believed in what we were doing, believed in the importance of our fight, but Keisha was all of it for me, and I wasn't going to give her up. It won't work, Lucy told me. Thistle won't care if you're still active. They're in it for the carnage, not the strategy. And how much worse will it be without Bay and Creek's protection? I didn't know what to do. I stopped sleeping, mostly stopped eating. I had joined because I wanted Keisha and everyone like her to be safe and now my actions had put her in even more danger than before. Lucy kept bringing me stories, more Bay and Creek operatives dead, chaos in the head office. No one knew what to do. That last time I left home, I thought I would come back, but I couldn't stop thinking about Keisha, who was frightened by even the minutia of daily living. Having to face one of those boneless, loose-skinned boogeymen, She would be helpless, and it would be my fault. I would indirectly be her murderer. So I didn't come back. It destroyed me, but I am a protector. I had to remove myself from Keisha's life, letting her think that I had died. I just
1: didn't know any other way to do it. We had been walking for two hours and still no highway. I was starting to lose sense of direction. For all I knew, we were heading deeper into the wilderness. The afternoon heat was brutal. We had no water, and so we carried our thirst in our bodies. Thirst is heavy. It made us slow, made us stoop. The howls of the thistle men came from all sides, hooting and laughing and whooping. We couldn't tell distance at all. They could be right upon us or miles back. I stopped, looked back at Alice. What were we doing? If this was it, did we want to spend the end wandering purposelessly? Keep going, she said. Keep going where, I said. I searched our surroundings, not recognizing any landmark, and then I saw a glint against the horizon and pointed at it before I knew what I was looking at. I thought of a time in Death Valley, a light in the sky above the badlands. Alice laughed in relief. "A reflection off a car," she said. "It's the highway." "Oh, thank God you saw that." "Yeah," I said. "Thank God." I don't know what I saw. We were so close to the highway, maybe forty more feet, when I heard Alice gasp. I turned, a thistle man, his crooked, baggy face grinning at me as he squeezed his arm around my wife's throat. It felt as though the part of me that was human
2: was gone. What is a person outside of the context of others? As George Eliot wrote, what do we live for if it is not to make life less difficult to each other? Stripped of that, I still ate and breathed and shit. But I was not Alice. And I wanted nothing more than to be Alice. I took no comfort in my hollowness. There was nothing romantic about it it was a sickness and I had left the only cure behind home was a person and I wanted to go home how would you explain it to her Lucy said to me where would you say you've been I don't know I told her I'll figure it out no Lucy said you try to explain it to me right now out loud where you've been as though you were talking to Keisha I want to hear the story you'd tell course I couldn't. I couldn't. Conversation ended there. Months passed. Then one day I considered a site that had become ubiquitous in my life. The news crews covering the violent event we were investigating that day. In my despair, I stopped and I watched the crew film. Without allowing myself to think about what I was doing, I pushed my way through and stood at the front of the crowd of onlookers and I stared straight into the camera, hoping that somehow Keisha would end up on the other side of that stair. Lucy was furious, as you can imagine, but I didn't stop. A fire outside of Tacoma, a landslide in Thousand Oaks, a hostage situation in St. Joseph. I kept doing it. Would I have done it if I knew it would leave Keisha to do what she did? Probably not. I had sacrificed everything to keep her safe, and here my impulsiveness sent her careening out into the most dangerous places of all.
1: Run, said Alice. Just run, please. The thistle man snorted. It sounded like a boot pulling out of mud. Yeah, run, chipmunk, he oozed. Run away. Branches cracking in the brush around us, yelps close by. Alice was sobbing and she was mouthing go over and over as the ropey arm circled her tighter and tighter. Well, fuck that and fuck the thistle man. I charged toward him, howling back, sounding for all the world like one of them. I had become more than willing to meet their violence with my own, and I had learned a thing or two about how to do that. Alice thrashed as her oxygen was fully cut off, but I was already driving my thumbs into both of the thistle man's eyes, pushing inward and upwards as hard as I could until I felt them squish beneath me. He screamed and let Alice loose, thrashing blindly at me. His hand connected with my head once, then twice, and the world went away for a moment. I couldn't hear out of one ear, I could hardly see. Alice regained her breath, went in for a kick, but caught the rebound from one of his swings and was on the ground again. He turned sensing her vulnerability, and I used that moment to heft a rock and take it to him over and over until he was down, alive but incapacitated in a puddle of that yellow glot that fills their bodies. Huff! He shouted at me. Woo! I used the rock one last time right onto his face, and he didn't say anything after that. We have to go, I said to Alice, pulling her up. I'll help you, she said, trying to put her arm around me, and I could almost laugh, almost. Hun, you can hardly walk, I will be helping you. I could hear out of my one good ear that the rest of the thistle men were upon us. He us the last 30 feet to the highway, where I began wildly waving for help. A truck driver stopped and I hurriedly but successfully convinced him that we were one of his kind and just needed to get a ride to whatever the next town was. From there we were able to rent another car. We got the nicest one they had because we knew that our line of credit would be burned anyway once the other rental company realized they weren't getting their car back. So, might as well run up that bill if we were going to skip out on it. The nicest one they had was only okay. It was a small-town agency. And from there, back to Midland and our truck. As we pulled up to our home on the road, I stopped the car and turned to Alice. I saved you, I said. I saved you, okay? So go ahead. Kid yourself that everything you did was because I needed protection and so that justifies it somehow. But you remember this. You remember that I saved you and not the other way around. I got out of the car and into our truck And from there, we went out of town, and out of Texas, and on to whatever was going to happen to us next.
0: Check out AliceIsn'tDead.com for more information on this show and our merch, you can wear Rob's stunning logo for the show on your body, either as a shirt or, brand new, a beautiful enamel pin. Like to cosplay or are actually a roaming highway monster? Get your own thistle hat. Full of anxiety and looking for your wife? Get a Bay and Creek shirt. All of that at aliceisntdead.com. This show would not be possible without our Patreon supporters, such as the avuncular Gertjan Yorsma the sensible Zoe Snape, the witty Chip Salzenberg, the effulgent Cody Brasington, and the persistent Douglas Olsen. If you would like to join these folks in helping us make this show, please check out patreon.com slash Alice Isn't Dead, where you can get rewards, like director's commentary on every episode, behind-the-scenes updates, bonus episodes, and a chance to read the Alice novel before anyone else. More on that soon. That's patreon.com slash Alice Isn't Dead. Hey, Alice Heads, which is a name I just came up with for listeners of Alice Isn't Dead and that I don't think I'll ever use again. Anyway, I'm releasing two books this year, which is a weird thing to say, but I've been working on both of these for years, and I'm so excited for you to read them. Okay, first, on May 11th, 2021, the first ten years, two sides of the same love story. So, there is a love story that happened behind the scenes of Welcome to Night Vale, between me, Joseph Fink, and Meg Bashmaner, voice of the Night Vale credits and MC and tour manager for the live Night Vale show. In this memoir, we recount the first ten years of our relationship, year by year, without consulting each other beforehand. It's a funny and romantic story about how differently we experience and remember our lives. Then, on July 20th, The Halloween Moon, my first ever novel for ages 10 and up. Esther Gold loves Halloween, until the year that Halloween night just won't end. Even she doesn't want Halloween to last forever. No matter your age, if you're a fan of Alice Isn't Dead, I think you're going to love this book. Get these books wherever you get your books. Today's quote, does anyone suppose that private prayer is necessarily candid, necessarily goes to the roots of action? Private prayer is inaudible speech, and speech is representative. Who can represent himself just as he is, even in his own reflections? From Middlemarch, by George Eliot. Thanks for listening.
2: This has been a production of Night Vale Presents. Find out more about us and our shows at nightvalepresents.com.
0: I'm Joseph Fink, and I'd like to introduce you to I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats, a podcast about the shifting line between artist and fan. When I was a child, reading the authors that I loved and listening to the music that I loved, the thing I got from that is that feeling of of being understood somehow, and that weird connection where it's not the person, it's not the stranger, it's the thing they've made that opens this space for self-reflection. I Only Listen to the Mountain Goats. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts.